Hey, everybody. As Ben said, my name is Tom, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a teaching series on the book of Acts. Acts is a 28-chapter book that chronicles the beginnings of the early church. It covers a time frame from about 30-ish AD to about 62, 65 AD, somewhere in there. And right now, we are wrapping up chapter 9, heading into chapter 10. As a quick recap, in chapter 9, the apostle Paul met Jesus Christ, and on that road, Jesus Christ changed his life forever. And I'm going to give you the quick kind of nutshell version of the end of 9 and the beginning of 10 before we dive into today's text. At the end of 9, the author of the book of Acts, Luke, shifts gears from the attention being on Paul, he shifts it to the attention being on Peter. And Peter is, um, he's moving, he's preaching, he's teaching, and that immediately should bring to mind Jesus' command, his parting command to the disciples. And we, if we go back to Acts 1, um, verse 8, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that was what Peter was doing. He was out um, moving around the countryside, preaching and teaching. And I, I try to, I'm trying to put up some maps just to give us an idea of the territory they were covering. And that verse, the map should be up on the screen for you, um, the, the blue circle is kind of home turf. It's Jerusalem and Judea. It's the area that the, the apostles were comfortable with. And then you move to Samaria, and Jews and Samaritans didn't really hang out, and they weren't really supposed to associate with each other. But Jesus still said, you're going to go there, and you're going to take my message of peace and love and hope. And then moving out from there, that kind of neon green deal, that is um, the ends of the earth. So if you look at that inset, the um, kind of the blown up version, Peter's uh, journeys take him to the towns of Lydda, Jaffa, and Caesarea. And what's really kind of cool about the way God works is he didn't, he didn't take the disciples and throw them to the ends of the earth. If you look at that map, those three towns are just kind of, they're just starting to, to tip, uh, dip a toe in the water of that whole ends of the earth idea. So that's where, that's where Peter's at. That's where the action is going to take place that I'm about to describe to you, and we're going to read from that text. So the end of chapter 9, um, Peter meets a man named Aeneas, and he is a paralytic. Peter heals him. He gets up, and he walks. Peter also meets a woman named Tabitha. Isn't that a great name? I love that name, Tabitha. And um, she's a godly woman. People love her. She's done all kinds of great things for her community, and she passes away. The community hears that Peter is nearby, and they ask him to come. And Peter comes, and he raises Tabitha from the dead. Luke is super intentional about the examples of the kinds of miracles that Peter was performing at this time. And they point directly back to very similar miracles that Jesus performed. And the reason why Luke did that is he wants us to know that Jesus is still very much at work through the power of the Holy Spirit in these ordinary people who have turned their lives over to him. And through those people utilizing the Holy Spirit's power, they're changing the world. Jesus is still at work. All right, that's the end of chapter 9. Beginning of chapter 10, we meet a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile, basically means he's not Jewish, but he is God-fearing, and he's a, he's a man of prayer. And one day while he's praying, he has a vision. And in that vision, God speaks to him and tells him to go find Peter and go hang out with Peter. Now, that may not really seem like much to us, but the fact that Cornelius is a Gentile and Peter is a Jew 
all kinds of red flags are going off in Cornelius' mind, right? So, but that's where um, we pick up the action today. And before we do that, I just want to give you a little heads up. You're going to hear the terms impure and unclean. And in today's passage, those terms are in reference to food. Next week, we're going to hear those same terms, and they're going to be in reference to people, Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean. Um, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because the Holy Spirit is going to blow up that barrier. But before he blows up that barrier, um, sometimes the Holy Spirit has to break through barriers in us before he can break barriers through us. And that's what we're going to see happen in Peter's life today. So we're going to jump into today's text. I'm going to be reading to you from Acts chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to read through verse 16. Here we go. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, these are the men that Cornelius sent to go find Peter, that's the they, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So I don't know about you, but I'm listening to this interaction, and I hear Peter say, surely not to, to the Lord. And it kind of makes me think back a couple chapters to Ananias. Ananias was the man that God told to go heal Paul's vision, right? And Ananias' reaction was a little reluctant. I called him the reluctant disciple. He's like, God, this, Paul's got a, a reputation. He's like violent, doesn't like us, Jesus followers. But he went anyways. So if, if Ananias was the reluctant disciple, I'm going to call Peter the disagreeable disciple. He was, just, he was flat out arguing with God. Three times they had the exchange. God told him to do something, surely not. He reiterated himself, surely not. So um, we want to take a, a look at, at Peter to get a better understanding of him. We're going to take a look at Jesus' reactions. Um, but I wanted to share with you um, another passage that tells us that this is not the first time that Peter has had an argument with the Lord. This is, Peter's a, Peter's a funny guy. Anyway, we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to read you just three verses. Uh, a little bit before this, Peter had just, Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Messiah, you're my Lord. And immediately after this, we get to this exchange. Okay, this is Jesus talking. Um, sorry, this is Jesus and the disciples. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So, I um, want to point out one word from that passage, rebuke, right? It's, the, it's, a, it's a harsh correction of someone's behavior or action. Peter just called Jesus Lord, meaning I'm submitting my life to you, and then he proceeds to say, no, never, Jesus. He's arguing, 
He's arguing with Jesus. Peter is a funny guy. I found this, uh, this take on Peter's perspective and what may have been going on with him in a commentary. Peter both did and did not understand the truth about Jesus. This is in reference to this Matthew passage that we just, we just read. Peter both did and did not understand the truth about Jesus. Along with the other disciples, he understood much more than the crowds. Yet even so, he did not reach full understanding until after the resurrection. Now, all due respect to the authors of the commentary, all due respect to Peter, I don't think Peter, I think Peter was still having a hard time keeping up with Jesus after the resurrection. Because we see him after the resurrection, we see him already having done some pretty amazing stuff through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's still arguing with Jesus. So let's take a closer look at both of these, at both of these disagreements. So first we have um, the one in, in Matthew. And the, the key takeaway from the, the comparison of these is that Jesus reacts to Peter differently in each of them. Peter says no to Jesus both times, and in each time Jesus reacts differently. This first time, Jesus gives him a short, direct, almost stinging um, if Peter rebuked Jesus, I guess Jesus re-rebuked Peter. I don't know if that's a, a thing. We just made up a word. Um, Jesus was, was direct and to the point. And I think that's because um, this is the first time Jesus was unveiling his plan of salvation. This, he needed to make sure that everybody, everybody was on board. Peter's eyes weren't yet fully on Jesus. He still had a, a worldly mindset. He still had a worldly perspective. And he didn't understand how dying was going to help, you know, unite the, the nation of Israel and, and make them prosperous and, and bring about the salvation of Israel like was promised to them. He just, he didn't, under, he didn't understand it. But mostly, I think, the reason why Jesus calls Peter Satan is this. Um, before Jesus entered into his public ministry, he was led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert. For 40 days and 40 nights, Holy Spirit, you need to go out there and you need to pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And towards the end of that time, Satan came to Jesus and he tempted him. And he tempted him in several ways. One of them was, Jesus, you know what? You can be king. You can be king over all this. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to assume his kingship, his rightful place, without the cross. He was trying to get Jesus to circumvent the plans of God and do it in a, in a more worldly, kind of fleshly way. And that's exactly what Peter was doing. Peter said to him, no, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. That will never happen. We'll never let that happen. But Peter was missing the point that that was part of the plan, that that had to happen. It just didn't make sense to Peter. So that first interaction was a, was a, quick, a quick correction, had a little bit of sting to it. And then we look at the passage we just read today in Acts chapter 10. Um, Jesus seems to be a lot more patient with Peter. And I think you know, three times they have this exchange, and it's the, it's the same. And I think it's because Jesus recognized that Peter, and this is speculation on my part, right? But Peter had been through a lot. Peter had become very close friends with Jesus got to the point where he understood some of the stuff and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and he wanted, he wanted to be with him. And then, and then as he's dying, he denies him. Think about the, the guilt and the remorse that Peter must have had for, for that time 
as knowing that Jesus is going to his death with the knowledge that Peter denied him. Three days later, Jesus is risen from the grave. Peter's up and down, up and down. I cannot, his emotions must be all over the place. After Jesus' resurrection, he restores Peter. Not only does he restore him and forgive him, but he says, Peter, you're going to lead the church. Feed my sheep. I'm, I'm putting you in charge of what's about to happen. And then Peter goes on his way and meets Jesus, and Jesus ascends, and they begin to preach and teach and perform miracles, and great things are happening. And he gets here, and he's just like, I can almost picture him being out of breath. And they have this conversation back and forth three times, and the Lord patiently explains to Peter, no, this is how it's got to be. This is how it's got to be. This is what we're going to do. And that's where the vision, that's where the vision ends, and we're going to pick up the rest of that. We think about the emotions that Peter had. I said he must have been full of them, right? What, what were they? He was probably afraid in both situations. Jesus says, I got to die. Peter's like, I just told you, like, I'm, I'm looking at you as my Lord. You're telling me you're going to die. That's terrible. It, and in the situation, God is telling Peter to go kill and eat. That would be violating hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of um, of Jewish dietary law that Peter kept all his life. He never, never violated it. But now God is saying, I'm going to take care of that. You don't worry about that. You just go eat because I made it. It's clean. So he was, um, he was, that could have meant if he violated those, that he could have been, uh, met the same fate as Jesus. So he was afraid. He was um, probably sad hearing the news that Jesus said, in the Matthew passage, Jesus said, I got, I'm going to go die. I have to die. This has to happen. In this passage, in the Acts passage, I have to, um, if I do this, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm putting a lot on the line. My reputation is going to be shot. I'm most likely not going to have any relationships. They're going to be out the window. So he's sad about that. This stuff is confusing. Jesus, like Jesus always does, kind of turns everything on its head. In order for you to live, I have to die. In order for us to move forward, for the movement, for the way of Jesus to move forward, we're going we're gonna to change tax on this dietary, on these dietary laws. Super, super confusing. And I think probably more than anything, I think Peter probably felt overwhelmed. Because these were gigantic changes that Jesus was suggesting to Peter that needed to happen, both when he laid out the plan of salvation and his death, and both in the change from these dietary laws, from not being able to eat certain kinds of food to like, no, it's all right, I'm, I made them, they're clean, you go eat them. Huge, big changes. All these, these feelings and emotions. And so whether Peter had one of those or, or all of them, what's key is that he didn't disengage from Jesus. He didn't stop listening. Jesus had hard words for him. And instead of turning and running, Peter had the hard conversation with him, but he kept on listening. He kept on listening. That's what everybody in the early church did. Some people responded quickly like Philip. Philip heard from the Lord and he ran to the eunuch and the chariot. Some people like, like Ananias were reluctant, but they went and they did it anyways. Peter was confused and he argued a little bit, but he kept listening. And spoiler alert, Peter comes through in the end and he does what he's supposed to do. 
that, um, th- this idea of keep listening. And because they kept listening, they got to experience Jesus in, in ways that they never had before. And they got to advance God's kingdom in a way that was, was necessary and needed and helped many, many, many people. So uh, way back when, when Rich, uh, Rich Joy, who founded Crossroads Community Church along with his wife, Heidi, um, asked me to come on staff as the youth pastor. We were over here at the Old Marie's, a very, very clear memory of this. Uh, I said, wow, I'm, I'm really flattered. And I said, I'll go home and I'll talk to Gail and, and we'll think and pray about it. And we thought and prayed and I went back to Rich and I said, um, thanks, but, but no thanks. I said, no. And my rationale was this, is that I had just gotten a big promotion at work that in my mind, God was blessing what I was doing in the corporate world by giving me this promotion. And that meant I was supposed to stay there and not leave that behind and go into, into full-time ministry. So Rich said, well, I thank you for taking the time to consider it. And we just kind of went, went our ways. Um, but Jesus, I kept listening and Jesus kept talking. And what became very apparent to me was what I was calling a blessing was something that I was rationalizing. Right, going into full-time ministry was a scary proposition. I was in the corporate world. I had a company car. I had a nice salary. I had an expense account. And I didn't want to let go of that. And over those six weeks, Jesus was like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you're supposed to be doing. What I have in store for you is way better than what you think you have right now. So I went to Rich and I said, Rich, if, if the job is still available, I think I made a mistake. I think I'm supposed to take it. And um, that was a little over, about 20 years ago. Um, And I've been here ever since, and I haven't looked back, and I don't miss any of what I thought I would would be missing. The only thing I did right in that situation was I kept listening. I didn't run from Jesus when I heard a hard thing. I I didn't turn my back on him. So maybe over the course of the last 10, 12 weeks, through our study in the book of Acts, through... Um, are disrupted by hope series. Maybe Jesus has been saying some hard things to you. And let's, let's stop right now and let's think about that. I want you to think over the last 10 to 12 weeks and what, maybe some you've had some of those conversations with Jesus. What is it that God is saying to you? What has he been saying to you over the last 10 or 12 weeks? And I'm gonna put up a list of things that are just possible potential things. And I would love for you guys to jump in the chat and just let us know what God has been saying to you as we've been moving through this teaching series on Acts so far. Is he asking you to do something? Maybe he's calling you to spend more time with him, to, to maybe get a, a Bible plan, or I suggested a couple weeks ago that you um, intentionally engage with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe he's calling you to do something. Maybe God is saying, stop something. Maybe he wants you to stop going 1,000 miles an hour so you're exhausted all the time. Maybe he, there's a habit that he wants you to stop. Maybe there's a relationship that is just toxic and not good for you, but for whatever reason, you can't get out of it. Maybe there's something that God is calling you to stop doing. Maybe God is calling you to give. Right? The example that we have in the early church is admirable. They were generous beyond belief. And maybe that's, you know, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in that, calling you to be generous. Maybe God is saying it's time for you to serve. 
and we read a, little, a few chapters ago in Acts about how meeting practical needs is a significant and powerful way to help move people closer to Jesus. Maybe there's a, just a practical need, somebody in your life that you can meet, and God is calling you to do that. Invest. And I don't, mean, I don't mean money, I don't mean stock market. I mean, maybe God is calling you to reach out to a friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody who does not yet know Jesus, and you're to invest your time and your energy in that person. Share your story with them so that they might come to know Jesus. And the last one, persevere. This has been a crazy, crazy year. Maybe what Jesus is asking of you is just to keep your eyes fixed on him and let him lead you through today. Just get through today. So, like I said, please keep going in the chat. Let us know what, what God is, is asking you to do. Normally, at this point, I would jump to what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? I'm going to add a question in the middle there. What is God saying to you and how do you feel about what he is saying to you? Are you experiencing some of those emotions that Peter may have felt? Maybe you're afraid about what God is asking you to do. Maybe you're confused. That doesn't make any sense, God. That why, from a worldly perspective, would I ever do that? Maybe you're sad. Maybe that relationship that isn't great for you is still meaningful, but it's time to move on from it. Whatever, whatever it might be, do the hard work of recognizing, identify what that emotion is and recognizing it before God. And in doing so, when we recognize those emotions, sometimes those things that are holding us back, it frees us to move on and step into what God might be calling us to do. And then finally, what is God saying to you? How do you feel about it? What are you going to do about it? What steps are you going to take? Ananias took steps. Philip took steps. Stephen took steps. Peter, after his conversation, he took steps. He had the hard conversations. He was real with God. He kept listening, and then he took steps. And one of the um, best tools there is to help interpret what God is saying to you is other people. Maybe somebody who invited you to Crossroads. Maybe somebody who's a little further down the road of faith can help you interpret the things that you're reading in Scripture, can help you interpret what you're praying. Maybe they can um, help you interpret your circumstances and how you're experiencing them and how God might be trying to speak to you in those things. And then you can move on and move towards what God is calling you to do. What is God saying to you? How do you feel about it? What are you going to do about it? Guys, I just, I really want to encourage you um, that it's okay to have hard conversations with God. I want to encourage you to keep listening Regardless of what those emotions might be that you feel when God asks you to do something, keep listening. Don't disengage. Just because God disagrees with you, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. We have this mindset today that if somebody disagrees with us, it means they must hate us. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want to encourage you to keep listening, to keep engaged. I want to encourage you that sometimes as hard as it is, God is always right. And that is a beautiful thing because we don't have to have everything figured out because he does. And as we let the Holy Spirit break through those barriers in us, then he's going to take us and he's going to use us 
to go and break through other barriers. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your example. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the men and women of the early church who bravely stepped out into confusing, scary, um, just overwhelming circumstances because they heard your call. God, may we be the kind of people who follow your leading. Um, God, as you, as you call us into sometimes scary things, as you call us into new things, Father, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see what you're doing and how we might join you in that work. God, help us to not be afraid to, to face those emotions, to deal with those emotions, to offer them up to you, to trust you with them. Lord, and that as we um, allow you to do that work in us, that we would move forward and um, you would do a work through us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you.